Welcome to the podcast, Coming Forward. Coming Forward is an anonymous podcast for victims of abuse to safely come forward and tell their stories in a support group setting. Topics will rotate on a weekly basis following the readings and materials used by the support group ASCA, which stands for Adult Survivors of Child Abuse. The goal of the podcast is to normalize and desensitize some of these difficult topics in hopes to push the needle on our national conversation about sexual, emotional, and physical abuse as it relates to the legal system. Coming forward will serve as a safe and judgment-free space for the most intimate conversations so we can all speak our truth and feel a little less alone. It is important to note that this podcast in no way serves to replace any form of therapy. Participants have the option to be anonymous or state their name, and we respect reasons for doing whichever option they feel the most safe and comfortable with. This podcast may contain explicit descriptions of sexual, physical, or emotional abuse that may be disturbing to listeners. Listening discretion is advised. Today's topic is telling our story. You can find a reading for this material posted within the notes of this episode. We will have a 10 to 15 minute presenter followed by an informal conversation around the topic with some additional guests. To our presenter, thank you so much for being here today. We'll pause for a moment of silence to gather our thoughts and feel free to start whenever you're ready. Okay, is this... Uh Good yes. distance, whatever. Yeah. All right. Is this thing on? Yeah. We have a very special guest. Feel free to also informally kind of introduce who you are and generally. Yeah. Um, my name is John. I come from um, families that were very dysfunctional. On, on all sides, I'm, my maternal grandmother's family was dysfunctional. I know them. I could tell you about them. Uh, both my father's parents came from dysfunctional families from different countries. This is so. This is multi generational, multi country, um, and all kinds of abuse. Uh, so I, like millions of other children throughout history, were born into this boiling cauldron of abuse uh, without knowledge had to figure it out by ourselves. Um, and one of the interesting things is um, we, we, uh, I, I, and I'm, I shouldn't say we, I, I had to figure it out by myself, but I know we had to figure it out by myself because for many years now, I have been talking and corresponding and communicating with other survivors and, and there are certain basic things, and one of them is we had to figure it out for ourselves. Um, so it, uh, this is interesting, telling our stories. There are different stories, and one of the things I have realized is all my abusers, through their abuse, in a sense, were telling their story. That's a whole other story to talk about. Um, but the other thing is, you know, as an adult, um, I wondered, you know, telling my story, what does that mean? And where would I begin? And what is it I want to tell? And I can never figure that out. So I'm going to tell a specific story of the first time I told my story. And I was going to school. I started school when I was five because my birthday was in December. And the legal age in the where I lived, um, it was six 
but I would have turned six in December. School starts in September, so they said, okay, he can start school. So I was five years old when I started school. And I was a small five-year-old. And when I was five, I, I, was, I was abused from conception. So I was being abused. Both my parents were extremely abusive. And they were off, my mother was often psychotic. Um, and she was kind of the ringleader. Because once she started with abuse episodes, which were every day, multiple times a day, once she got started, if my father was home, he would get started. So in, there I was in first grade. And I was going to a religious school. And when I was five, um, I was being sexually abused by my mother and a neighbor girl. And th this, is, this is kind of important to the story that the first time I told my story. So I, um, every day I would go to school and, and the teachers who were religious would tell us children every single day, they, they honed in particularly on sex. They were kind of sex-obsessed. So every day there was, they would tell us the different ways we were going to suffer for all eternity for having sex outside of marriage. I know I later learned why they did this, which is not a pretty story either. But um, telling this to five- and six-year-olds every single day is... I think criminal. I mean, it makes no sense. They never, of course, told us what sex was. But since I was being sexually abused, I knew they were talking about me. So for me, going to school every single day and hearing this, and it was every day, and every day they had new ways that, they were going, that we were going to suffer for having sex outside of marriage. And, you know, five years old, what's marriage? You know, my parents... What, what, what is this? But I knew they were talking about me, this dirty secret, and I knew somehow it was wrong. So at the same time, my mother was becoming more and more horrified. And, and, and I, was, I, was, I became afraid she was going to kill one of us. And this is very important. The first time I ran away, I was three and a half years old. And I knew I had to... If I was going to succeed in running away, I had to go somewhere that I was totally unfamiliar because I would be too afraid and go back home. So I had to go someplace where unfamiliar, where I would be literally lost and I wouldn't be able to get back home. So I knew, I, how I knew this at the age of five, at three and a half, I was three and a half when I did this. How I knew that, I don't know. But, and I think about that, and just imagine, three and a half, and I knew if I really wanted to succeed, I had to overcome my terrors, so I had to be somewhere. So I, I was just on the verge of, of being in a place where I knew I would not be able to get back home, and my courage failed me, and I asked a man, be and the reason my courage failed me was I started to think, night is coming. Where am I going to sleep? How, where am I going to eat? 
who's going to tuck me in, who's going to do this. And then I realized I need these people, these people I'm running away from. I need these people. Otherwise, I won't survive. I didn't even know what survive meant. So my m- so back to five and six years old, back to five and six years old, I was afraid my mother, who was becoming so violent, was going to end up killing one of us, and she would be taken away. So there I was, three and a half years old again. If my mother is taken away, who's going to take care of me? Because my father was away all day at work. So I think this is an indication of just how young I was. I was, you know, a child without experience. So I was basing everything on what I then knew. You know, I couldn't think about the future. I knew nothing about the future. I didn't know there was a future. So even though I hated going to school and I hated these teachers and these religious because of what they were telling me that I was going to suffer all these ways for having sex outside of marriage. I was so terrified that my mother was going to kill one of us and be taken away. I was going to take them up on their offer because they would say to us, both the male and female religious, if you children have a problem that is so bad you can't even tell your parents, come and tell us. So I decided, even though I did not trust them and I did not like them for the terrible things they were saying I was going to suffer for having sex outside of marriage, that's crazy. Um, I was more afraid of my mother being taken away and not knowing what would happen. So one day after school, I went to the convent. It was a convent. And I knocked on the door. And I said, I needed to speak to a nun. I was five or six. I, I know it was summer, so I don't know if it was before. It was when school started or the following year when I would have been six. So a nun came, and I don't remember how I started, but I just, I just knew I just had to start and start to get it out. And so I started to tell this nun I was talking about my parents. And I know they, I told this nun, they do terrible things to me and my brothers and sisters. And I started to tell them some of the things that they were doing to me. And this nun started shrieking at me and screaming and started hitting me. And telling me I was a child of the devil, I was an imp, and I, I, there was no punishment on earth that was suitable for the horrible lies I was telling about my wonderful Catholic parents. And she said to me that nobody would believe her if she told someone the horrible lies. I, this child of the devil, was telling her So she needed to go and get a witness. So she left the room, and she came back with another nun. And she screamed at me to start telling this other nun the horrible things I was saying about my wonderful Catholic parents. So I didn't know what to do, but I knew that I had to obey adults. So I started telling this other nun. This other nun started hissing. I remember this. 
because it was so unexpected uh, because nobody spat and pinched and, and hissed at me. But this nun was like a cat. She started hissing. She started spitting on me. She started pinching my arm and saying the, the, the same kinds of things. I was a child of the devil. I, I, you know, no punishment on earth. And then she also said the same thing about nobody believing her uh, because, you know, it was just, I don't know. Anyway, she had to go and get a witness, and she brought back a priest. And again, I was instructed to start telling this person. So by this time, I was terrified because I was being, already I was being punched and pinched and spat on and screamed at and all kinds of verbal abuse. And this priest started punching me and kicking me, and he stopped me to the ground. And then the three, these people, the nuns were in, I would say, late 20s, the priest, early 30s, and I was this tiny little five- and six-year-old. And they felt justified because in their eyes, I was an imp, I was a child of the devil. And I think these people were delusional. I think there was something seriously wrong with them because they did not see me as a human being. Else, how could they do to me what they were? And I was never, I don't think they ever saw me as a human being, as a, as a child. And, and I say that because I had them for teachers and, and things that were said in the classroom. So I, this, I don't know how long that went on, but, but when it was finished, I had to walk home two and a half miles I had missed my bus. I was terrified I was going to be beaten by the time I got home because I would be late. I did not know what I was going to say to my mother. I told my mother that I, I had to see a nun after school because I thought she would just accept that, which she did. I was not punished. Um, but that taught me adults are never to be trusted. And I still feel that way. And when I started turning into an adult, I felt my body was betraying me. I was turning into my enemy. And I was, I was horrified about this. Um, to, th to this day, I do not trust people who, who are so into any kind of an agenda, religious, political, uh, because in my experience, they don't see anything beyond their agenda. Um, and I don't trust telling my story because this was the first instance in which when I tell my story, and, I, and I've seen this happen to other people, but this was all through my life with my immediate family, extended family, anybody. When I tell my story or anything personal, people who have agendas take my words and use it to their own advantage. So if I want to be safe, I, I don't tell, I don't relate anything. I keep all information about myself private. I keep it close to myself. Um, so so that, was, that was the first time. And pretty much in, 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 until, you know, years and years and years later, I started therapy and started going to, uh, support meetings that I I would tell my story, but I have to feel absolutely safe 
um, listening to the media uh, talk about child abuse to me is a joke because they know nothing about child abuse. They know nothing about child abuse so much that they don't even know what they don't know. In other words, they don't know any. They don't know that they don't know anything about child abuse. They think they do. Uh, I also find that the general public and the media think that child abuse is logical. In my experience and in years of talking to other survivors and all my readings, to me, child abuse is not logical. It's pathological. And, and um, I, 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 I truly feel that... Um, you know, I've just told my story. And, and I said earlier, all my abusers, their, their abuse to me was telling their story. And, and it revealed a lot about them. And, and I, I think that is really important. Today, I feel that um, what I went through, nobody should go through. And I feel that um, I, I used to think of it as finding my voice. And today, I feel I really need to find my voice because nobody should go through what I went through. And, and so I want to do things that will... Um, uh, I'm, my, my throat's kind of catching. That, that will, uh, you know, contribute. I, my, my childhood was very destructive. I want to turn that destruction into something constructive. I'm the last one of my family who's still alive. I just buried my sister, who was beaten in, into insanity by my parents. She never knew happiness. She never had a moment of not feeling pain. She never had a moment of joy. All this was totally foreign to her. She did not deserve that. And, and um, I'm her only witness, and I want to be a witness for other people who have gone through uh, a, a, a childhood of pain. And, and um, I, I really feel the general public uh, needs to be educated. The general public does not know that they don't know anything about child abuse. And they keep spreading misinformation and myths. And they continue to perpetrate and perpetuate child abuse. We have, we have lawyers and politicians who know nothing about child abuse, and yet they make laws about child abuse that harm us. And I think they need to know this. I think we have no representation in Washington, for example. It, it took over 16 years to get the Child Victims Act passed in this state. And, and, and the two groups that were most against it were the Catholic Church and the teachers' unions. They spent millions every year, whining and dining politicians to make sure that this bill would not be heard in Albany. Um, anyway, I, I think um, I'll, I'll leave it there since we have limited time. Thank you. Thank you so much for sharing. Um, I'm just taking a minute to take all of that in. Do you, want, do you want to share how you're feeling or would you like feedback from the group or do you want to just open it up into a conversation? I'll leave that up to you. Yeah. 
Um, yeah, I'm feeling a little shaky. I'm feeling. I'm actually feeling most. I, I rarely ever feel. So so uh, so that's good. And um, um, yeah, feedback in a conversation. Feedback. Okay. Um, so we do have some guests here today. I'll open that up for feedback from our group. Um, I'll just go ahead and start and say thank you so much for being so courageous and brave. And I got so much out of your share. And I really appreciate you talking about the Albany component at the end and just bringing this to a larger conversation. Um, I'm also really happy that I d wish it wasn't so late. Not that it's late, but I'm happy that you are finding your voice now and using it in a powerful way. Um, and just really sad and sorry to hear about your story and par part of your story. And I'm move the mic on to some others that just want to share. I just want to uh, say thank you for sharing your story. Um, I, I can definitely relate to it, and it's absolutely terrible. Um, and thank you for having the courage and strength to come to come forward today. I want to thank you for a lot of reasons. Um which I hope you don't mind if I'm very forward and honest. Um, when I first met you, I've, I've been with you in support groups before. Um, I really did not know what to make of you. And I got this feeling that you were checking me out to find that one wrong thing that would exile me from the group. Um, I'm realizing as I say that out loud, I think that's just kind of how I view authority in general. And I remember one time I did share something I was very deeply ashamed of. And the fact of the matter was you didn't exile me. You gave me honest feedback that didn't let me off the hook. And you said, keep coming back. And I had no idea. Yeah, I mean, I could gather from some things you've said before the extent of your story, but I had no idea it ran that deep. Um, and I can assure you that in the brief time I have known you, you are in no way, shape, or form a child of the devil. You are a very brave and very inspiring man, and I hope that many people hear your story or a version of it, however it gets out there. Okay, so moving into a conversation um, from the reading, just to kind of, it will be posted, but um, it says one of the most powerful aspects concerning our recovery process, especially stage one, is telling our story. And from what you said, I think it's, it's so difficult when I think of this topic because there isn't one story. Like, we don't just have one story. There's so many stories. There's so many components in the way, at least for me, when I think of things, it's kind of in fragments and pieces, and I'm putting things together. There's not, like, one cohesive narrative, and you know more about different parts than others. I think that is also a part that makes it really frustrating to tie it all together. Um, so wanting to address that. Also, just relating back to, to the post just for people that are listening and find ways to relate, um, there are questions and prompts posted, like what has been my experience th thus far, what has been the benefits to my life and the recovery process by telling my story. And if anything also kind of jogs your memory, John, while I'm saying this, um, you can also feel free to share, especially something like the benefits. 
to, to being able to speak out um, that you've been able to directly observe? And then are there any other avenues that I might or have not yet used concerning tell my, telling my story to en enhance my recovery process? So just I'm trying to also incorporate a way that a listener might be able to take this in because I know this is different from groups, so kind of playing around with the format here. Um, I think with the Catholic history, a lot of people are going to be able to listen and kind of say, you know, that happened to me. I've experienced that. That's a very unique ex experience with, with the nuns and with that kind of a background. Um, so I do think that is relatable in a lot of ways. I think you brought up a really good point with the legal component um, and bringing it to Albany. If we can open up that for a conversation, kind of throwing things out. What's your relationship to ASCA? I, I um, had, a, had a nervous breakdown, and I was in therapy um, with a, actually a bad therapist. But it took me 12 years to break from him. But uh, towards the end, I knew that um, I, I, can't, I cannot be the only one. And I started looking for support groups, but I also started looking for memoirs and biographies. And back in the 70s, there was a little ad in the New Yorker magazine, of all places, um, about um, uh, advertising a memoir called Cry Out, written by a, a pseudonym and an address to send away for a copy. And that was the very first memoir I ever read of an abuse survivor. It was his story, and he, he later wrote a second so uh, for, for a number of years, I kept looking for um, support groups and more memoirs. And then um, I did not necessarily find memoirs, but I would read biographies of people who were abused, but they either did not know they were abused, because I could tell they were abused by their descriptions of what was done to them by parents or people in the family, other people, and this was abuse. Um, uh, and so eventually, um, I used to search on the internet for support groups, and I did find a therapy group, and I went to a therapy group, was, which was horrible, absolutely horrible. Um, that's another story. Um, but eventually, I found a website for the Moore Center, which had developed the ASCA recovery program, and they had a list of meetings. There was no New York meeting. So every few months, I would go back, and I would check that list. And after about six months, there was a New York meeting. So I contacted the person who started the New York meeting, and I started going to the New York meeting, and I went for about two, two years, and then one day he asked me if I would be interested in taking it over because he wanted to go out of state to continue his education. So that was how I came it, to the Moore Center and to ask a meetings. And he, he said, um, the Moore Center also needs someone to answer uh, queries that come into the website. Would you like to do that? And uh, about leading the meetings, I thought, this is too scary. I cannot do this. And then I thought, no. This is a learning experience, and that's what I need. I, I need to be among people, and so I'm not going to think about this. Um, 
I'll just do it, and if something scary comes up, I'll deal with it then. But if I just think about how scary this is, I won't do it. So I won't think about it now. And and um, I also said yes. I will. I will um, answer the queries. That I will volunteer with the Morris Center, um, which I've been doing to this day. I still do that, and I still run Ask a Meeting. So to put it into a little bit of context, so you've been running Ask a kind of by yourself in New York City. This location, which gets right. about, I would say. About 2025, we've pulled up to 30 before, weekly, run by donations. You're doing all of the email correspondence by yourself, single-handedly, like a single-person show here, pulling this off for, I don't know how many, wasn't it like 10 years, a long time? Yeah, it was 13 years. Being and a reliable source for anyone that I, I to come right, forward. I stepped down from leading the the in-person meeting, but which I still attend now, now and then. So, but I still do some of the correspondence for that meeting. But now I also do a virtual meeting, yeah, and do the correspondence for that. But I, th- I think so much of us at at ASCA, you've been just this consistent, reliable. You've just held the space for us for mm-hmm. such a long period of time, where people can go, and I think. I was just shocked to come in a room with so many people with so many of the similar stories that people come here on a weekly basis of something that you created a foundation for here for all of mm. us, you know, and it's still growing and people are starting it now in other boroughs. And I just think that's huge and that's really incredible. Mm. Good. Yeah. Yeah. I can keep going down the topics from my notes, but uh, being that we have, I th- we can do another 10 minutes. Does anyone have anything specific from John's share or about telling our stories without turning into um, a mini, you know, personal share, getting too, too much time, um, opening up to a conversation? Does anyone have anything kind of, you know, heavy on their heart that's sticking out to them that they really kind of want to say? I think the thing that resonated the most from John's share was the thing about being a small child and being making a desperate attempt to rationalize the world at the same time being completely terrified. Yeah, thank you. I, I think we all do. I think, um, I, I don't know, but, but um, you know, I, I went through it, so I, I'm not that unique. So I think all children were trying to make sense of the world we were born into, I think. Yeah, go ahead. If you don't mind if I ask you a question about your story. No guarantees. Questions are also triggering. Are you new to group? <laughs> Still kind of. Okay, so maybe no questions, but maybe um, you can share something that might have resonated for you. What resonated for me was how graphically you remember all of this, including what your exact thoughts and feelings were. The fact that you can put words to what was going on in your young brain while all this was happening is incredible. And I guess I'm looking forward to the day when I can see that kind of light at the end of the tunnel of my own recovery for when I can actually start remembering exactly what everything looked and felt like in the moment so I can hopefully start forgiving myself. I actually... um 
before I came here today, I didn't read on, I guess I probably should have read on the uh, the board what the topic was. And when I found out what it was, I was actually very happy to be here. And your story was very, um, it, it resonated, you know, very much with me. And I think that coming forward is probably the most important and probably the hardest thing um, that I've ever done. And it seems like that's probably something that's universal amongst uh, people have gone through similar things. And uh, I, I've actually never thanked you um, before. Uh, before, um, when I found ASCA online, um, the only people I had really ever told what I had been through were close friends. And it was, it was through unconventional, horrible means. Usually alcohol was involved. It wasn't very uh, structured. And ASCA meetings... Um, the one thing that it really did for me was uh, reading the steps that come with the program have really uh, put my thoughts more on an organized track. And I've been able to start my recovery in a different fashion than I ever believed possible, really. And uh, I don't think I would be where I am right now if it wasn't for you. And and also this podcast is um, it's great because I think that speaking out... <laughs> On a, on a platform where it can reach people who just aren't ready to come to meetings or who don't know about meetings maybe um, and can, you know, get help that way. It's, it's these, these things are amazing. So I just want to actually thank both of you. And this is more of a question, and you could go ahead and answer it if you want to, but I was wondering whether that, um, that story that you had told is, I was wondering is, now that you're kind of in a positive and in a beautiful place in your life, do you think that is in one of the most important um, kind of like thoughts that you have of, of your history and um, within this story? I think it was. Um, I, th I, think, I think what that taught me, because I ended the sexual abuse with a neighbor girl, and she was only... You know, talk about telling our stories. She was only around nine. And, and so I think sexually abusing me was her way of telling somebody what was happening to her. And I think the, the, this, this story of telling my story for the first time and the reaction of these three adults, I was more adult than they were, taught me... I can't rely on anybody. If I want this to end, I have to end it myself. And, and, and one day that girl came to my side door and knocked on it. And, and I knew what she wanted. And I said to her, my mother says, I can't play with you anymore because you're too old for me. And I ended that sexual abuse. I ended that relationship. And that's how I did it. And, and I think I learned that from telling my story for the first time to those three adults who totally betrayed me. Um, I had in my notes here, when you, when you said you ran away and you said, I need these people, it's like you were, you were such a smart and bright kid and you instinctively knew this is wrong. This isn't okay. I'm unsafe. I need to leave. Like your body knew. And I think that is just kind of speaks volumes to me that you even knew at such a young age 
right and wrong, and it's so simple. And you went to the people that were supposed to protect you at school, and they just made it worse. And I don't see how a kid in that situation would grow up knowing anything but whoever I tell isn't going to listen or whoever I tell is going to not believe me or they're going to hurt me more. Why would I tell anyone? You know, that's what I would think from my perspective. Um, So just kind of I'm still digesting your story, but I wanted to share that. And that just sounds terrible. Like, Like I said before, like no child or anyone should have to go through that. Yeah, yeah. I, w- I would just like to add, uh, because that's a common question, it, battered women also get it. Why don't you tell somebody? And I think this is an illustration of, I did, did, and I was five years old, and look what happened. And you taught me not to s- tell anybody yeah. after that. To end, I guess, on a higher note, we have a couple minutes. Do you feel, how do you feel has benefited you I I know you said something a little bit with like actually feeling and I know what that that feels like to be able to feel like you're present Um, is there anything else with kind of telling your story in different ways at group or in life or that you do feel has benefited you whether it's health or you you do see like a direct you know it's helping you know I'm I'm not sure Um, I, I work in progress I think all I don't know I think maybe all life is a work in progress. But um, it does give me the courage because I'm, I'm essentially I'm a hermit. I'm a very frightened, untrusting person. But I do know that I don't want to be that way. And every now and then I get the impetus. And, I, and without recovery work, and such as ASCA meetings, um, I think nurtures that impetus um, because I'm, it's not a nightmare, but I do know intellectually that, you know, if I had continued on the way I was, they could write on my tombstone, which I think a lot about lately, here lies John, he never lived. And I don't want that on my tombstone. So I do need to do something about that. So that's an impetus. I do feel like you've... It's, it's hard for me to hear your perspective of that because for so many people that are here and have relocated throughout the world, you've done so much for us by providing this space. And I, I know it's hard. I don't know if you can take that in, but you really, you really have. You've provided a voice. you provided a platform. you provided space for people to come in, for me to even be able to be here with you right now. Like I was silent for over a year at our meetings. You know, you, you directly are impacting the lives of so many people. I hope that you can see that as something you are directly, positively benefiting in the world in a big way. And I think talking about the media and talking about law and doing all that, I can just see you doing so much more, too. Thank you. Thank you so much. Okay. Um, do, you, do you have anything else that you want to share, or, or I can wrap up? No, I, I just want to. Um, this has actually been a very nice experience, and, um, and we're... We're all each other's witnesses, and I think, I think that you know, to me, I, I will say this: I lately redefined what recovery means to me, and that is the courage to be me. That, so that's my my personal definition of recovery: the the courage to be me. But I realize more and more that it's important we be each other's witness. I like that a lot. Yeah. That's a nice way to end.
Thank you for being here. Next week's topic will be self-soothing. If you have any specific questions or something you're personally working with around this topic, it can be either success stories or having a difficult time with, please feel free to share by writing in and we can work to incorporate some of this in the discussion after the presenters share. Again, thank you for um, listening, still working around with the format. Um, so also feel free to write in and you know what sounded natural, what worked, what didn't work. Um, okay, thanks so much.